Good evening. I'm proud of myself. I didn't say good morning. <laughs> Welcome uh, to this Ash Wednesday service at Faith Community United Methodist Church. I'm Pastor Andy, the pastor here. It's good to have you join us for this service as we enter into the season of Lent together on, with this Ash Wednesday service. Just a couple of words about the service. We are going to be uh, celebrating the Sacrament of Holy Communion tonight, and we are uh, using these uh, prepackaged kits that are out on the table in the narthex. So hopefully you got one as you came in. If you didn't, uh, if you forgot to grab one, you can just go out to the narthex and get one, bring it in with you. Uh, so you'll have that at our time of communion. There's a sheer clear plastic that holds the bread, a uh, thin piece of bread at, at the top, and then the next uh, seal underneath that is for the juice. And uh, we will be uh, receiving the ashes on our foreheads this evening. Uh, we're going to do it a little bit earlier in the service than normal. We're going to do that before the sermon rather than after. And when it is time for that, I'm going to come here uh, to bless the ashes, and then Sandy's going to put them on my forehead, and I'm going to put them on her forehead, and then the choir is going to come down here across the, the front, and I'll uh, put the ashes on the choir's forehead, and then as soon as the choir has made their way across, then you're invited to come up. Uh, you don't need to wait for ushers. Just come on up as soon as the choir has gone across. Come up the center aisle, and I'll place the ashes on your forehead, and then go across the front and return up the side aisles to your seats. We are in God's presence this evening. We are uh, here to worship, so let us be in that spirit. I invite you to stand as you are able and join with Sandy in the call to worship. Have mercy on me, O God according to your steadfast love. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let us worship God, and we can do that with the hymn, Lord, who throughout these 40 days, we're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 3. It's number 269 in your hymnal. Would you join with me in reciting the Apostles' Creed? It is number 881 in the hymnal. I believe, I believe in God, God the Father Almighty, maker, maker of heaven and earth, and, earth, and in Jesus Christ, Christ his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, 
the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. And for our time of confession this evening, we are going to use the prayer of confession that can be found in the hymnals on page number 12. And I believe it will also be on the screen. I invite us now to join in a time of turning to God in confession. Let us pray. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And let us confess our individual sins in silence. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, we are bold to pray together the, the prayer that our Lord has taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As you remain seated, I invite you to turn in your hymnals to number 292. We'll sing verses 1, 3, and 4 of What Wondrous Love Is This.
The scripture for this evening is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked, for we are still in this tent. We groan under our burden because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God, and I hope that you are also well, well known to your consciences. We are not recommending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. For if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat him on behalf of Christ be, to be reconciled for God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of God for the people of God.
Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the early Christians observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection. And it became the custom of the church that before the Easter celebration, there should be a 40-day season of spiritual preparation. During this season, converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. It was also a time for persons who had committed serious sins and had separated themselves from the community of faith to be reconciled by penitence and forgiveness and restored to participation in the life of the church. In this way, the whole congregation was reminded of the mercy and forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the need we have to renew our faith. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the church to observe a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word to make a right beginning of repentance and as a mark of our mortal nature, we receive these ashes in humility and faith. Almighty God, you have created us out of the dust of the earth. Grant that these ashes may be to us a sign of our mortality and penitence so that we may remember that only by your gracious gift are we given everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
Well, here we sit with ash all over our foreheads. Usually in the Ash Wednesday service, the ashes are presented at the end of the service following the sermon. I I decided to reverse that this year, and I did that for a reason. I did that because the ashes represent the starting point for us rather than our destination. What do you mean our starting point? Don't the ashes represent our, our mortality, the impending death of the body? Isn't that where this life in this world is headed? Well, yes and no. The ashes are a reminder of our mortality. They do represent the fact that these mortal bodies will not last. From dust you came, to dust you will return. What I mean by the ashes being our starting point, though, is this. This is the condition in which we all begin death. As soon as we are born into this world, death is our inheritance. Because of sin, we are born into death. In a very real sense, death is our starting point. We have to face this fact because without realizing this truth, the fact that we are all born into death, the Christian faith doesn't really make much sense. If death isn't where we begin, then why do we need Jesus to bring us to life? If we have eternal life in heaven simply by dying a natural death, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? If eternal life is our natural end, then there's no point to any of this. But that is how our society tends to view this question of life and death. We draw a distinction between the physical and the spiritual. We claim that when this physical body dies, then the spirit lives on with God. And we tend to make this claim of everyone that dies, unless they are just about the most awful person to ever live, regardless of their faith, regardless of whether or not they accepted Christ, regardless of whether or not they were submitted to God, we say that they are smiling down on us from heaven. Let's be honest, that might make us feel better, but that's not at all what the Bible teaches. It's not at all what Jesus taught. It's not at all true to the Christian faith. Now, you might not want to hear that, I don't love saying it, but I trust that those of you who bothered to come here this, ne- this evening are aware of the fact that Ash Wednesday is not a day that's designed to make us feel good about ourselves. Ash Wednesday is a day that's supposed to confront us with the truth, that's supposed to slap us in the face and on the forehead with the, the dire consequences of sin, the reality of death, not just death of the body, which we can shrug off as no big deal because we're all going to go be with God in the spirit anyway. No, these ashes are, are not just a reminder of physical death, but of death, death, eternal separation from God. The truth that death is the only thing that any of us have coming to us by our own rights. From the time that we are born, we are not immortal. We are not eternal. What we are from the time we are born is dead. That is where we begin. That's our starting point. That is why we sit here with ash on our foreheads. But the ash is in the shape of a cross. Because death is not the only reality that confronts us. There is also the reality that God has dealt with our sin on the cross. There is the truth that that Christ has taken our own death to the cross, and there transformed it into life. That is where life, eternal life, comes from. Not from nature, but from God. Not from being born into the world and then dying, but from dying to self and being born anew into Christ. The shape of the cross reminds us that although the ash is our beginning the reality in which we sit, the problem that must be dealt with, that is not our destination. I want to look, at, look this evening at some of the juxtapositions in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we heard read earlier. In the first section of that chapter, Paul juxtaposes the earthly tent in which we dwell with the building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And I want to caution us against reading this passage as a dichotomy between physical and spiritual. That's not what Paul is talking about here. 
When, when he talks about the earthly tent, he, he is talking about our physical mortal bodies in which we live in this world. A tent is temporary. You, you put it up, you put up a tent to, to shelter you when maybe you're moving from one place to another or maybe when you don't have a, a more permanent structure. But nobody aspires to live in a tent forever. It, it's nice to have when you don't have something else, but it's not a home. What Paul contrasts that with is a building, a house made by God. A building is solid. A house is built to last. You, you can stay in a home. You can live in a home. And that is what we have waiting for us in heaven, a home. Now notice that the imagery that Paul uses here is not any less physical. It's just a lot more permanent. He doesn't say when the earthly tent is destroyed, then we are freed from the body and live on in spirit forever. In verse 2, he says, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling or to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. When this body is gone, there is something else, another body that replaces it. Now, verse 3 is interesting. One translation reads, if indeed when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Another translation reads, if indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Each translation has a footnote saying that the other one is found in some manuscripts. Some of the ancient manuscripts say, when we have taken it off, and others of the ancient manuscripts say, by putting it on. So which is it? Well, actually, both of them are true. It just depends on what the word it refers to. The previous verse talks about both the tent in which we groan and the heavenly dwelling we long to put on. In, in one of the versions of, of verse 3, the word it refers to the tent that we groan in now. If indeed when we have taken off the earthly tent, we will not be found naked. In the other version uh, of verse 3, the word it refers to the heavenly dwelling we long to put on. If indeed by putting on the heavenly dwelling, we may not be found naked. Now take the first translation. We are groaning in the tent that we have on now. No matter how fit you are, no, whether you keep yourself in shape or not, our, our bodies are far from perfect. We have aches and pains. Joints give out. Bones break. We catch diseases. It's a good thing this is a tent, a temporary dwelling. Who would want to live like this forever? But when we do finally take off this tent in which we groan now, what will we have? If you do not have salvation, if we have not received the promise of eternal life that comes only through Christ, if we don't have that building from God, that house to move into, then we will be found naked. You're going to need another body to put on. Don't forget that. Don't, don't be found naked when the tent of this body is stripped away. Take the second translation. We are longing to put on that heavenly dwelling, that perfect eternal body. That's what we want. It's what we long for. To have that security that comes from, not from a tent, but from a house. To have a, a body that, that will never wear out, that will be free from all pains, that, that will never let us down. But we can only move into that heavenly dwelling if we are clothed in it by God. If we try to go at our own, if we think it's just going to be given to us as our right or, or something that we have by nature, something that comes to every person when they die, or if we don't think we even need a heavenly body that will just live on in spirit no matter what, then we will go to put on that heavenly dwelling and find that we are naked. So the meaning is essentially the same. We have something to look forward to in leaving this world and going to the next, a home that is permanent, secure, dependable, perfect, one in which we will no longer groan, but we will be content and at peace. But that is not the natural state that everyone moves into simply by passing from life in this tent. It is a state in which we must be clothed by God, a home that we must receive from God, because without that, once we leave this tent, we are naked, exposed, unsheltered, dead, 
There's another juxtaposition in this chapter. Christ, who is life, died. So that we, who are dead, might live. Verses 14 and 15. One has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. You see, eternal life is not automatic. That, that possibility was taken off the table as soon as sin entered the world. Once sin entered the world, the only thing that was automatic was death. Death was necessary because of sin. Death was required because of sin. In order for death to be removed so that we could have life, another death had to take place. The death of the perfect sacrifice. And that sacrifice of death was made by the one who is life himself. Paul says, one has died for all, therefore all have died. Because of sin, we all deserve death. That that is what we have earned for ourselves, eternal death. That's what we have coming to us by our own rights. But the one, Christ, died for all. He suffered the death that was due to all of us. He died on our behalf. Therefore, all, everyone who is in him has already died. The punishment has already been carried out by the one who didn't have it coming. So that he, the only one who had eternal life coming to him, could pass that on to us who had no claim on it whatsoever. Paul puts it even more powerfully in the last verse of the chapter. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was completely without sin. The only human who ever lived a perfectly righteous life. God made him to be sin. The only one who wasn't sin, God made become sin, placing all of our sins upon him. Why? So that in his death, sin and the punishment of sin would be eradicated once and for all. And just as the one who knew no sin became sin, we who were not righteous, who were anything but righteous, we have become The righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin upon himself so that he could place his righteousness upon us. You see, there's a complete flip-flop that takes place on the cross. A trading of himself for us. Jesus became what he was not and what we are, sin and death, so that we might become what we are not, but what he is, righteousness and life. And once we are in Christ, that's truly what we are. Verses 16 through 20. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us with the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Two points I want to make about those verses, and then we'll move into the sacrament of Holy Communion, the sacrament of reconciliation. First, we regard ourselves and one another no longer according to the flesh. In Christ, we are a new creation. What that means is, for those of us who are in Christ, we are no longer in death. Eternal life has already begun in us. That division that separated us 
from God because of sin, that has been removed. We've been reconciled with God. Even though this mortal body must yet put on immortality, even though we have to wait some time for this tent that we dwell in now to be replaced by the eternal home, we're already in life. It's been vouchsafed for us. The Holy Spirit is given as our guarantee. We are not sitting here in death. We are sitting here in life. If you are in Christ, then those ashes on your forehead do not represent your current situation. That is the the death from which we started, the, the death from which we needed to be saved. But once you put on Christ, the slate was wiped clean. Death was removed. Life has been given in its place. I'm going to invite you, if if that is a reality for you, if that is truth for you, then after we take the the sacrament together this evening, before we leave this sanctuary, I'm going to invite you to wipe those ashes off your forehead. You know, I never know on Ash Wednesday how long I'm supposed to leave the ashes on. I, I know in the Catholic Church they go to Mass in the morning and then they leave the ashes on their forehead all day long. I've always been glad that our Ash Wednesday service is in the evening, so I don't have to do that. But still, I I always wonder, can I wipe them off before I go home? Once I get home, before I go to bed, am I being unfaithful if I wipe them off too soon? You can wipe them off now if you want to. But I'm going to remove mine after we partake in the sacrament of Holy Communion because that is the sacrament of reconciliation, showing that by the gracious sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to the Father, that through the body and the blood of Christ, we are given the gift of eternal life. And finally, I want, to, I want us to notice what Paul says about this gift of reconciliation. God has reconciled us to himself in Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. The point is this. Once we have been reconciled to God through Christ, then we have work to do. We we have work proclaiming the message of reconciliation in Christ to others. We can't sit back and and be self-satisfied that we have life. There are others out there who don't. There are others out there still sitting in death. And there are plenty that don't even know it. Like I said, our our society assumes that everyone just automatically goes to heaven when they die. But that is not the truth. And we need to let people know where reconciliation can be found. We need to let people know where life can be found only in the cross of Jesus. So as we receive the sacrament this evening, I pray that we will receive it not just as a reminder and a celebration of our own salvation. May we receive it as a call to ministry, a call to be about the work of reconciliation. May we receive it as empowerment for preaching the word, for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we all take on the mantle of being ambassadors for Christ. Will you join me in the prayer of the great thanksgiving as we prepare to receive the sacrament? The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You brought all things into being and called them good. From the dust of the earth, you formed us into your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, you bore up the ark on the waters, saved Noah and his family, and made covenant with every living creature on earth. When you led your people to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, you gave us your commandments and made us your covenant people. 
when your people forsook your covenant, your prophet Elijah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and on your holy mountain he heard your still, small voice. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. When you gave him to save us from our sins, your spirit led him in the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights to prepare for his ministry. When he suffered and died on a cross for our sins, you raised him to life, presented him alive to the apostles during 40 days and exalted him at your right hand. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. Now, when we, your people, prepare for the yearly feast of Easter, you lead us in repentance for sin and the cleansing of our hearts, that during these 40 days of Lent we may be gifted and graced to reaffirm that covenant you made with us through Christ. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit make us one with Christ one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. I invite you now to take the bread. The body of Christ, broken for you, take and eat in remembrance of him. The cup of salvation poured out in the blood of Jesus Christ. Take and drink in remembrance of him. And now if you care to join me in wiping off the ashes, there are tissues in all of the pews. You can just pass them along if, if you need one. As we celebrate the fact that Christ has destroyed death, and given us the gift of eternal life. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us stand now and join together in singing our closing hymn, which is in the hymnals at number 504, the old rugged cross. Let's stand and sing together.
That old rugged cross is indeed the place, the only place where true life is found. So let us cling to that cross throughout this season of Lent and all the days to come. In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.